Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brusseau. Hello, folks. Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity. My name is John Fahey. I want my high-functioning pervert, Aaron Peter. High-functioning pervert, Aaron Peter. <laughs> Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Aaron. <laughs> I thought about that at work this week. I was like, how come I haven't thought about this before? I can't believe neither of us did, but I'm mm. glad it worked in the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I also... Joining me is um, a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that Aaron is gorgeous as fuck. Yes, Thank yes, God. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, an extremely beautiful man. He'll be doing a tidy little profile for us tonight. Mr. Matt Brousseau, hi. Oh, oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Hi, friends. Hey there. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to tell you guys this thing. Um, it's, it's very, very brief because Matt is stealing the show again mm. tonight. Oh, great. So Joe Latchett, the uh, artist-in-chief for Profiles, mm-hmm. made me a very sweet gift. Which was, um, I used to do a column for Maximum Rock and Roll out of San Francisco, which is like a hardcore punk magazine reviewing and stuff like that. I used to do a column, and I could write about whatever I want. And uh, I can pl- I, So Joe took all of my columns from five years of writing in the magazine, and he compiled them all for me. And he like throw in like dumb little graphic jokes to me. He just made like three copies, like one for himself, my friend Nevin, and me. And... Uh, so I hadn't read any of the shit since it was published, and um, I really hated it when I was doing it. I was like, this sucks. I'm a terrible writer. This is really bad. And now like, I'm like, yeah, this is not actually not so bad. But <laughs> one of the things I completely forgot about as a, a tiny profile that, of a person I never met was um, I love it when people are just gigantic pains in the asses. You know what I mean? Like when somebody's such a pain in the ass that it's like, Unbelievable! I just find it so fucking funny, you know. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot in the homeless community. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, those homeless are a real pain in the ass. I mean, they—they're. I mean, but it's funny. They're such curmudgeons, like you know. I mean, <laughs> schizophrenic, eventually, whatever. Yeah, right. But you know, some, it is, it sometimes is, yes. you're such a pain in the ass. They're just like get outside and stay there. You know, that's how it happens. And I mean, when you. <laughs> When you listen to this guy, what I'm going to tell you, you're going to be like, oh, I can see why he's outside all the time. Because uh-huh. <laughs> this guy's so funny. He was like, me, so me and Joe and um, my friend Chris, we go to Denny's and the bathroom is like <laughs> shut down. And uh, we said to the waitress, what's up with the bathroom? And she's like, oh, God. She's like, there's this guy this homeless dude that used to come in here and you know he doesn't have any money but we would always give him free coffee but then he would always take the mug with him (laughs) right smart move though so he's he's always taking the mug with him and so you know after a bunch of this they're like you know where'd that guy go well he didn't pay and took them like you can't take the mug and not pay Mm -hmm. you're already not paying now you're costing denny's money Mm -hmm. you know so he comes back in and they're like, listen, you can't, we'll, we, we, don't, we, we don't mind giving you the free coffee. You know, we know you're having a hard time, but you can't take the mug, man. You know? And he's like, oh, all right, fine. You know? And then, you know, he's like wrapping it up and he heads for the door and he's like, ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> he's got the mug and he bails. <laughs> right? So they're like, this motherfucker, man. And uh, then he, <laughs> he comes back again. <laughs> and they're like, we you're, we can't do anything with you anymore, all right? Because you're, you won't, we're trying to help you out and you won't help us help you. Like, you're, you're just being an asshole. Where are these, is he building a house out of mugs? I don't know. I think he just gets a, you know, just gets a buzz out of it or whatever. But, um, so many mugs. So many mugs. <laughs> so they're like, we can't, you know, we can't deal with you anymore. And he's like, all right, well. Can I just please use the bathroom? And they're like, sure. So he goes in the bathroom and he sets all the paper towels and toilet paper on fire. No. Like every garbage can <laughs> and then leaves. And we were like, all of our jaws are like on the floor <laughs> as she's telling us this. And we were like, wow, that is the punkest dude we never met. <laughs> like, just 
complete like a pain in the ass at every turn. Like, I don't know. I had a lot of respect for that guy. <laughs> Give him a mug. Yeah, small price to pay. <laughs> Just let him take the mugs. <laughs> he lives in a mug mansion. <laughs> hey. uh, um, I also want to announce uh, we are starting a Patreon. Hell yeah! If you guys love the program, which I know a bunch of you do, we are uh, getting just a fuck ton of listens, which is very, very flattering, and um, we're very proud of that. Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash profiles and eccentricity, you can donate to the program. And we're going to start putting up some little extras on there for you guys. Uh, we're going to be just having small kind of, you know, merch things, some little extra podcast clips, and then maybe once a month a whole extra profile just for the people that are helping us pay the bills. Yeah. So we love you. Thank you. Please check that out. Uh, Mr. Matt Brousseau, you got a character to explain. I do. I do. Please. Do. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to open with a quote here. All right. Some of you have probably heard uh, some or all of this before, but I think it fits. It goes like this. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something, maybe not in the long run, but no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world. Whatever it meant. There was madness in any direction at any hour. If not across the bay, then up at Golden Gate or down the 101 to Los Altos or La Honda. You could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever you were doing was right and that we were winning. Hmm. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We don't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting. On our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. Hmm. So now... Less than five years later, you can go up to the steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. With ah. the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark, the place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. Mm. That's uh, Hunter S. Thompson. If you're in loathing, he's talking about San Francisco in the 60s. Hmm. And this episode touches on the music scene very briefly, but uh, one crazy character out of the music scene in the 60s. Hmm. Now, the 60s, the music scene, had uh, it, it was a reaction to the beatnik era, mm-hmm. these cynical, cold bastards who... Did a lot of heroin. Did a lot of heroin and thought they were smarter than everybody. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the music there in the 60s, the response to to that beatnik was was communal and loud and loving and psychedelic. Hmm. You had bands like The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Sly and the Family Stone, Big Brother and The Holding Company, you know, Janis Joplin, Mm -hmm. uh, Moby Grape. And in the Bay Area, you had Country Joe and the Fish and Creed's Clearwater and the Doobie Brothers. Mm -hmm. At least different sounds, but they're all very inclusive and and hopeful. Mm -hmm. And there was one man uh, in two of those groups... Very briefly, incredibly briefly, he would go on to inspire Robert Plant, Chrissy Hind, and Beck, and Tom Waits, and Wilco, and Mudhoney, and Primal Scream. Hmm. But he would have two careers, and they are both as brief as they could get. One was run through with psychedelic rock and roll, and the other with introspective and odd and completely vulnerable music. And neither of these careers would last more than a couple of years. Hmm. His name, as you already know from the title of the episode, is Alexander Skip Spence. Hmm. He was born in 1946 in Ontario, Canada. His father was, uh, he worked in the aircraft industry, but his father was also a singer-songwriter and go to bars, and, and they'd made their way to San Francisco, and he would play bars along the way and sing and write music. He, uh, Skip started playing, uh, Alexander, he was known then, he started playing guitar at age 10. He was playing these local bands. One of them was called the Top Siders in the Bay Area. In 1965, he was 19, and he passed an audition for the Quicksilver Messenger Service, one of these 60s bands in San Francisco, at this place called The Matrix and I like both of those things, the Quicksilver <laughs> Messenger Service and a bar called The Matrix. I'm on board. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everything was the back then, dude. Mm-hmm. It was, it's like the Joe Meek episode. I was like, man, these fucking names suck for everything. <laughs> it's always the something. And you're like, what? I, I like it when it sucks. Well, The Matrix is cool as fuck for a bar in the 50s or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the Quicksilver Messenger Service. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Get, yeah, sign me up. I'll give you those two. Thank those, you, those, John. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> They're pretty dope. They're not metal. Well, it's not, not the tornadoes. Well, that sucks. It, yeah, the tornadoes <laughs> sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, continue. No, go ahead. Also, I'm, uh, just real quick, I, I I always thought that hippie stuff came out of the beatnik thing, but it was a, you're saying it was a, a response to it, which is very interesting to me, because 
I can understand that that kind of hippie stuff was more inclusive. It kind of brought in like uh, country folk and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Beatnik was, I guess, kind of like uptight uh, coffee shop people, sort of. Yeah, I feel like the Beatniks. Um, my, li- fr- my friend and listener Brent Smith is kind of an expert on this. Ooh, but the Beats, they, they were a little more male dominated. I think. Yes. Well, I mean, look at Kerouac and On the Road, where he's clearly homosexual yeah. and exploring uh-huh. that, but he cannot tell anybody right, right. in this Burroughs, movement Burroughs and Ginsburg they were all fucking each other in the butt and really stuff, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that which is great sure of but, course but I also th- I thought that um, like say the poetry side of it is kind of what would have bridged beatnik to hippie stuff I thought there was certainly some connection between them but I feel yeah. like in, in this scene Kerouac certainly could have come out and been like yeah I'm gay yeah it, right. it was still the 50s and everybody was still buttoning, buttoned up and it was and again yeah. male dominated. Mm-hmm. And I think that the hippies, the hippie movement was way more inclusive and well, yes, flowery. Yeah, yeah and a singer like Janice leading a band. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. Acid came around. That's what it was. Yeah, that's Acid happened. True. Well, I guess that's kind of how I think of the beatniks. Is the hippies were out and the beatniks were were shooting smack. They were hidden. They were yeah. yeah. They were shooting smack. They were hanging out in coffee shops and um yeah, still kind of hiding. I yeah, guess apartments in Paris. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's fine. So in 1965, uh, Alexander Spence, he's 19, he passes this audition, and uh, he doesn't play for them, but he's at this bar, The Matrix, and there, uh, this guy, Marty Balin, who uh, would found Jefferson Airplane, hmm. he's like, he's, he's in the midst of, of, of founding that band, and he sees Skip just standing at the bar, and this is what he says, he says, Skippy was this beautiful kid, all gold and shining. I just saw him and said, hey man, you're my drummer. <laughs> And that's it. Wow. And then he was the drummer for the Jefferson Airplane on their first album. He had never drummed before. Jesus. Two weeks later, he was their drummer. Hmm. And he played on their first album, uh, Jefferson Airplane Takes Off. And by the time it was released, less than a year later, he was out of the band. (laughs) Wow. He had been fired because he skipped a gig to go to Mexico with two women. Ah, skip. Ah, skip. And he didn't know how to drum. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. But also, yeah, you know... he also didn't want to play drums. He wanted to be a guitarist. Right. And cool. Jefferson Airplane already had guys who wrote songs and played guitar. Yeah. And so he wasn't going to get better than them. But he's, he's, he's hanging around. He talks to this guy, Michael Katz, who turns out to be a complete scumbag. And they found uh, the band Moby Grape. Hmm. And, Sc- and Katz would trick uh, Skip Spence into giving him the full rights to the name. And then for the next 30 years, he would take as much money from the band as he could and never give them the name back hmm. until he died. Hmm. But that's kind of a side story. So Moby Grape was this band that was founded uh, with Skip Spence, uh, drummer Don Stevenson, guitarist Jerry Miller, who are both from Seattle, and then singer Bob Mosley and guitarist Peter Lewis. Peter Lewis is still in the band. Peter Lewis and the, uh, the Wolf, I, Wolf's, I believe they're called. Uh, Robert Chris got described this band as two Seattle bar band honchos and two aspiring L.A. pros shoring up speedy psychedelic wonder boy Skip Spence. Hmm. So by then he was already getting... Uh, uh, Everybody already had an idea of this. He took a little too many drugs, but he he could play guitar. Psychedelic Wonder, Wonder Boy. Boy. Robert Crisco is the dean of rock critics. I, uh, is had, that better or worse than high functioning? Pervert? <laughs> we made eye contact over that. And I'm just I'm, maybe you can throw it in on an episode. Yeah. Maybe you can disguise. Maybe if you want to throw it in there and try it out, that Psychedelic Aaron, Aaron is a you psych- know I got your back. I know we made eye <laughs> listeners. We made eye contact when Matt said that. Like say that next time. It's mine. Mine. My name. Please continue, Matt. Don't. You're doing. You're, you're enthralling. I, I, I will hop in any time. I'm sorry. Real quick, yeah. I just want to say we worked with this guy. Uh, it was like another like a uh, hunky blonde dude. And Aaron shows up and he goes, "Where's that other dude?" And I was like, "Oh, dude, I, <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, man, I was like, I saw him and I was like, you're not Aaron, fuck out of here, dude." And he goes, "Aaron's like, right answer. <laughs> I'm the hot guy." <laughs> that no joke that happened this week. I'm sorry. Continue. Sorry. Uh, so the the name Moby Grape is from a joke that I don't understand, but the joke is, "What's purple and swims?" Huh? Moby Grape. Right. Yeah. Mm. You know, because if you're on psychedelics, it's probably hilarious. Yeah. 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 It, again, still doesn't suck as much as other stuff of the time. <laughs> so I'm I'm on board. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Their first album was released in 1967. Uh, by this point, Skip was uh, he was 21, and uh, he he wrote two songs, and he he uh, helped with one. And here I'm going to play this one song. He wrote this one song is, is called Indifference. The other song he wrote was called Omaha. And 
1967. So they have three guitars in this band. Yeah. So there's rhythm guitars and the other two guitars trade off just like back and forth with licks. That's sick. So this was a this was called one reviewer called the Beatles on Speed, basically. Huh. This is this is 1967. Is there any uh black folks in the band? No. Huh. They're all white folks. It reminds me of uh Love. Mhm. You know Love? Mhm. They were like kind of like famously biracial when you didn't do that. Yeah, kind of like Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. Even. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think probably very similar time frames for Love and these guys. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the bands in the the San Francisco era in the 60s there were they didn't they didn't play a lot of soul or or, or funk. There weren't like trumpets except for Sly and the Family Stone. Right. It's usually right. like two or three guitars and, and yeah. a, a singer and a drummer. Yeah, they really went deep in on that psych stuff and it really lasted a very long time. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, so his other song was called Indifference on that album, uh, da, da, and uh, and then he he uh, and, and this next song is uh, he just added the bridge to this next song, and uh, uh, Jerry Miller he, he in the band he said uh, that it was a ballad they originally wrote this song as a ballad and then he said Skip came in and he tore it all apart <laughs> he messed it all up he methed, wow and, uh, this song is called Someday. This is all will be grape. Yeah, and so that part there—that that's what Skip did. The rest of the song is like this slow section here. Yeah, but Skip came in and he was a little bored with that part, and he wrote this line that said, "Your mind is lost in a world that wasn't made for you." Uh huh. Though I feel the same way too, I still got some things to do. Right. And I feel like this kind of portends or, or uh, prophesizes the rest of Skip Spence in a way. Really. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, they, you know, they, they they would have some slow sections. They they would play like folky songs, like everybody was doing in the '60s, and then they would do these these trippy guitar things. And everybody had the sense that this was the this was going to be the next big band. Really, they were going to be huge. Yeah, and they were signed to Columbia Records, and Columbia Records was like, "All right, well, they're going to be huge, and so this is we're going to blow everything up for them." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, their album hit the 24 in the U.S., and it was on the Billboard chart for six months, but Columbia didn't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And so on the release party, Columbia put together a... They went to the Avalon Ballroom. They lined everything up with all these beautiful flowers and carpets and Moby Grape wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they promoted the show the, so much that that night, three of the band members, including Skip, were arrested at another party because the cops were looking for them all night. Why? Because they had already had a reputation as huge drug users. Because Columbia wow. had pimped them out so much. Oh, oh my wow. God! They were arrested on su- suspicion of dope possession and contributing to the delinquency of minors. Damn, dude, they weren't <laughs> fucking around back then, no. dude. Oh man, they hated anything that wasn't them. Did, Sus- you, did you ever see the 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 uh, Blue Boy episode of Dragnet? Oh yeah, yeah. We've talked about this. The, the, it's like uh, a couple of girls are like, "Hey, what's up, cops?" And they're like, "Don't go to that fucking party." And they go to the party, of course. And he's like, "Yeah, Blue Boy's having a party." And then like Blue Boy's like eating paint because he paints his face. But he's a total lunatic. And Dragnet, like the the guys busted up and they're like, "This sucks. Drugs suck." Yeah. <laughs> but it was like it was very heavy handed in showing you what. Um, the parents thought of what was going on at the time is pro- right. probably yeah. r- probably probably sixty seven. I would guess, R- like maybe, right at that maybe time. a little bit early, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit early. But like that's the thing about Dragnet. Dragnet would do stuff like that where they would they'd have you know Friday and then they'd have the other guy, yeah. and then they'd they'd bust up that drug party, and one guy would be like. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe busting up these parties is an infringement on their rights, and they should be able to experiment with their own feelings and right. consciousness. They'd be like, "Fuck that! Lock them up!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd 
have like the descending opinion and like fucking beam over the head with a billy it's so club. true yeah yeah and it was always it was always friday it was always joe friday that was like fuck that what about these girls yeah they all got <laughs> fucked at this party it sucks brilliant <laughs> you know they, they had like the, the writer even like the writer's room they'd have like all right let's say what we feel yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Like, toe the line for the network well the the one guy writing that stuff was a long hair that got his ass beat in the writer's room <laughs> <laughs> but the line was good keep it in <laughs> but i mean just those two charges suspicion of dope possession right it's like vagrancy contributing yeah. to the possible delinquency <laughs> of minors huh? he, well what and he showed him he showed him the peace sign we can't have that right right yeah so because of this arrest all of a sudden a bunch of their gigs were canceled Mm-hmm. All because Columbia decided to promote them in the wrong way possible. Mm-hmm. And the second way they decided to promote them, they released from this one album, they only had 13 songs. Columbia decided to release five songs at single as singles at the same time. Wow. And so radio stations were like, well, we can only play one. And so no song really ever caught on. Oh, God. And so, except for that song, Omaha, which somehow made it to 88 on the chart. Right, that first one I played, but but so this is instead of an album, it's six singles. Is that the idea? No, no. So they put the album out later, but uh-huh. first they released five singles, and everybody was like, "Well, I can't listen to five singles right. at the same time." Well, that's on the radio. just a bad fucking idea. Yeah, was that a was that an oversight or a deliberate like? Um yeah, record sabotage. companies, record companies would just try stuff. Yeah, yeah. like sometimes there would yeah. be like in the like in the eighties and stuff. They'd be like, "What if we gave out a twelve inch single for free?" And it's like, "Well, nobody would want it <laughs> right. because you just are throwing it out on the street." You know what I mean? Like, right. so there's like a, a ton of of failed things. But the one thing I'll say that uh, you reminded me of about them getting signed was. You know, all these A&R guys, as much as everybody talks shit about them, they really know who's going to get signed and who's going to be a big deal. Yes. It's always crazy. Like, if you ever hear about before Nirvana signs with Geffen, they have an offer from every single label. Every single A&R guy or team is like, this band is going to be fucking massive. We all have to put in an offer. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, mm-hmm. they do know what's going on, probably just because they... We're always hanging out in the right places and being like, yeah, and, and it might gonna work. It might kind of be the idea of like how in Hollywood there's always like five of the same scripts because every studio is like we got to have that Houdini script. We need yeah. a, they have a Houdini oh, script. Somebody's got a Houdini script. Yeah, we we better a, get ours out there. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, there's a moment. I mean, I think there's a there is objective truth, and then there's also the momentum of that, right? Of people glomming on. So that you know, yeah. But a lot of those bands too would be kind of like you know. Um, they were so sincere too, mm-hmm. like love and and probably these guys. I'm, I'm assuming without knowing a ton, but they would be like kind of like Bill Hicks type comics where they're like, "We don't give a shit. We just don't want to sell out." Right. You know, like we will sell out yeah. if we can say what we want, <laughs> right? But we don't want to, you know, like you know, fake it. Right. So, right? Yeah, and and everybody everybody who knew this band, right. all of these players were known in the scene. From uh, they either you know one of them played with Odetta, yeah. Uh, other than I mean, he was, Skip Spence was on Jefferson Airplane. Mm-hmm. Everybody was known, and they were like, "This is a super group." Yeah, Th- these guys are going to be huge, and so Columbia was like, "Well, we're going to promote the shit out of them," mm-hmm. but they did it in the completely wrong way possible. Yeah, well, they should, they didn't need to. They should have just let them make their music, and then that music would have stood for itself. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know that was the same thing with Guns and Roses too. It was like. They were a super group, and everybody was like, watch out, because something's going to happen here, you know? And it's like, then it does. Yeah. People. L.A. Guns and. Yeah. Axl Rose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the lunatic. So what Columbia Records does next is, um, again, they still, they think they're learning their lesson, but they're not. They say, all right, Moby Grape, you need, so for your next album, we're going to cut down on the partying by sending you all to New York City to record the album. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a brilliant idea. They, no, they don't party there. Nope. <laughs> Known quiet burg yeah. of New York City. Yeah. I think it's a uh, sleepy New York, it's yeah. called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The small apple, they yeah. say. Uh, so, in the next year, their uh, their second album, called Wow, uh, also... <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, New York has some great drugs. Whoa, is this heroin? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a double release basically. It was uh, called Wow. Was also and the other release was called Grape Jam. Huh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 in this album, you start to see uh, Skip Spence's ideas start to 
get beyond the music in a way. Mm-hmm. So one of his songs is called Motorcycle Irene, which is based on a real female biker. Hmm. The beginning of the song opens with sound effects of a motorcycle. The end of the song op- uh, ends with the sound effects of a motorcycle crashing. Hmm. Uh, and then he has this song called Funky Tonk, where he proceeds to fuck with the sound. This is Funky Tonk. Is he producing at this point? He's just still writing. So this is very very normal. Very normal music. Wow. <laughs> and so this is, he's just, you know, what if the, what if the sounds, what if the, well, the you know what, that's, it, that's 40 years before Kanye West did all that, that chipmunk soul stuff. <laughs> Dude, that, that's, uh, Joe Meek was doing that chipmunk shit. That's right. Joe Meek was doing all that shit. And that's the thing is that like, the early experiments with music are very dumb sounding now, but yeah, at the time they were mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are like, I don't know how the fuck you do that. Playing shit backwards and speeding stuff up and slowing stuff down. All that shit was completely mind-blowing and new. Mm -hmm. And you were very desperate for something new. Right. And sometimes people aren't ready for it. No. No. Uh, Experimental. People are like, well, finish the experiment before you release it. (laughs) (laughs) And so this next thing he does is for a song called Just Like Gene Autry, A Foxtrot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this... Hi there. Just reminding everyone that the next band is at 78 RPM, so kindly get up and change your turntable cool. to 78. Thank you. So the last song on this side of the record, he decides he wants at 78 RPM instead of 33. That's wow. dope. And so everybody has to change it. So then, get up off your ass! <laughs> yeah. And then it's literally this. With no one to look up to. And this is them playing with an, like a real 1930s orchestra. Yeah. When 78s were more popular, huh? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of brilliant. Yeah. So during this time, the drugs are kicking in now. He's in New York. I think they've yeah. been kicking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's in New York, and he finds this woman named Joanna, who describes herself as a white witch. Ah. Uh-huh. And he starts uh, hanging out with her a lot, and she's just feeding him pills. One of these pills is called Blue Cheer. It's a combination of LSD and methadrine. Uh, huh. Uh, and was there also a band called Blue Cheer? There probably was. I think it was a psychedelic band called Blue a, Cheer. A weed strain. Yeah. I think there's a laundry detergent. Right. I think there's a lot of Blue Cheer. Yeah, that's uh, funny. And so it, all of a sudden, like what you know, he one day he's a clean cut guy, and then all of a sudden the next day he shows up the studio wearing a leather jacket, no shirt, chest hair out, gold chains, oh. sweating out of his mind, and he had just cut his beard off with an axe. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Uh, call me Skip now I'm Skip (laughs) Yeah Skip today And uh, Then The record comes out And they're still in New York And he's tripping His brains off Yeah And he In his head He feels like Don Stevenson Is out to get him Mm -hmm. So he's staying At the Albert Hotel With him He takes an axe From the Albert Hotel Hacks down Don Stevenson's door Mm -hmm. Doesn't find him there so he calls a cab. He's wearing his pajamas and holding an axe. Trimming his beard along the way. Yeah. He, he gets in a cab, takes it to the studio. Oh, a cab stops for the axe guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you call a cab. <laughs> Not for the black guy. Nope, nope. nope. White guy with an axe. <laughs> guy. Pajamas. Checks out. Where are you going? He, he, he <laughs> I almost to- picked up one of these black guys. Christ. <laughs> that guy's got an axe. God, racism and the taxis in New York City. I'm out of my mind, man. <laughs> as long as you're not black. <laughs> so he takes the taxi down to the studio and he starts yelling for the producer, David Rubinson. Rubinson and he's like, get out, get out of here because he wants to kill him with an axe. Oh, my God. And so David comes out and he just talks him down. And he, then he eventually takes the axe from him, calls the cops. 
Mm. And the cops bring him straight to Bellevue. Yeah. The old... Oh, yeah, you're going to Bellevue, baby. Yep, famous, and it's not going to be pretty. Uh-uh. Famous mental hospital in New York. Put him in a straitjacket. Give him an enema. <laughs> Wait. Take the Give him an enema. Then put <laughs> him in the straitjacket. <laughs> 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 Aaron, you got to explain that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> back in like 1994, there was a great little movie with Leslie Nielsen called Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, Jesus. And it was, you know, it was their version. It was the airplane crew's uh, naked guns version of um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Right. And, uh,. <laughs> Oh God! They've just got the most ridiculous scenes in there where they go to, you know, they go to the the sanitarium where uh, Renfield is, and Renfield's up for parole, and the head of the sanitarium invites Renfield to breakfast to like see, oh, let's, let's see if he's ready to get out. Yeah. <laughs> and so in, in in Dracula, Renfield is like a low level, you know, familiar of Dracula, so he's not allowed to like feed on people, but Dracula lets him like eat like rodents and bugs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs, good for you. Uh, and so, <laughs> so he's at the in Dracula, dead and loving it. He's at the he's at the breakfast table, and the the warden head of the sanitarium's like, you know, oh, have you you'd have a bay of muffin or something. And when he looks away, Renfield like snags a a fly, a fly. and just like shoves it in his mouth. And the, the warden's like, did you see a bug of the the, the muffin? He's like, no, I think it was a, it was a raspberry. I think it was a raspberry. We're not having raspberries here. I've been a raspberry. I mean, it might have been raisin. Raisin from the muffin. Oh, it was a raisin from the muffin. And this goes back and forth till eventually, like, Renfield's, like, <laughs> jumping under the table to catch a grasshopper. He yeah. shoves it in his mouth and the legs wriggling around. He's like, my God, Renfield, the poor thing is fighting for its life! <laughs> <laughs> so he denies Renfield parole. <laughs> he has, you know, the orderlies come and they take Renfield away. And the, and the warden's like, give him an, put him in a straitjacket and give him, give him an enema. Wait, give him an give. I can't even say it. <laughs> you nailed it. Once. Give him an enema and then and then put him in a straitjacket. <laughs> doesn't he explain why he wants to give everybody an enema at some point? Oh, I don't. It, it, Calms, cleans them out and calms them down. I think is what is he's it. obviously just a weird he pervert. He just loves giving people enemas. <laughs> Forcing an enema on uh, people. And putting him in a straitjacket after is such a Aaron's subtle... been talking about this so much that I know I need to exercise it from his <laughs> spirit so he can get it out. The whole thing is fighting for his life! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to psychedelia. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> hey, so he's in Bellevue by now, yeah? Mm, uh, raspberry. <laughs> And Bellevue, Bellevue is a very hardcore mental hospital in yeah. New York. It's not it's, pretty. It's the de facto uh, name for mental hospital like yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they pump them up with Thorazine or whatever. Lobotomize them, shock therapy type of stuff. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Peter Lewis, he said by the time he came out, he was just done. What? It's just That, that was it. He was just done. Oh, that was God, the sense everybody so had. sad. So he comes out. Oh. And do you think it's because of the hospital or because he was an acid casualty? Well, you know, um, I mean, can it be both? I guess, yeah. You know, my thing is about acid is I don't understand how people would be like, I want to do acid every day. Like I, When I do acid, well, I insane. did acid like, a couple of times. I'd be like, all right, after that acid trip, I need to not do that for a yeah. month. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to pop- unpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. want to go to Walgreens on acid. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, you don't want to make it a normal party where you're doing normal stuff. Yeah, but some people do. I just, I'm like, maybe, yeah. you must be getting some really good feeling acid or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're frying. I mean, you right. feel like you're baking. Yeah, uh-huh. and I know those acid. Like I had an acid casualty guy in my town. Oh right? yeah, you could see it in his eyes. Oh yeah, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's so good to see you." And you're like, "Oh fuck, dude, you used to be really smart and cool, and now you're weird and creepy, and I'm not gonna hang out." with Oh, you. that's what they did to him. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, a couple of famous, you know, acid casualties are uh, Whitey Bulger, right, and uh, Ted the Unabomber Kaczynski. Oh, right, he was yeah. part oh, of the from, Harvard from, experiments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Sorry, Matt. Once again, don't do too much acid. Uh, it's, it's in, but do a little bit. Do a little stuff. bit. Yeah. Uh, Try it out. But he wasn't done. That was a, He recuperated. Well, so David Rubinson, he picks him up from the, the hospital and yeah. uh, he brings him He brings him to, he buys him some new clothes and he brings him to a hotel and, and Skip goes, I spent the whole time there writing. Yeah. I have all these songs. They didn't have, let me have an instrument, but I have all these songs in my head Yeah. and I need to record them now. Yeah. 
And so Rubinson, he calls a, a record company. They give him an advance. He gives it to Spence. Spence buys a Harley Davidson, drives <laughs> it that night from New York to Nashville. Not Jesus. Now. Hell yeah. It was like 900 miles or whatever. Oh my God. And he shows up. He spends he, six days there. He records 30 songs. Wow. It's like Tupac. <laughs> when he's done, he takes the tapes. He, he sends them off to Rubinson and says, do whatever. Yeah. That's so cool, man. And that's like Solzhenitsyn, who was in, you know, he was in a wrote the, so- wrote the book in his head. Yeah, yeah he wrote yeah. the Gulag Archipelago in his head while he was mm-hmm. in a Soviet prison camp. But yeah. just Nashville being that uh, that level of music town. I mean, Memphis too, mm-hmm. but Tennessee being these two Mem- these two Tennessee towns being yeah. like Nashville still, still, sick. yeah. I mean, uh, Jack White lives there. Jack White has a studio he there. He just released a new album, which a little. I was getting a little bit from what you were playing mm-hmm. of Skip. There's a little bit of that on Jack White's new album. Well, yeah. No one plays with him. He makes 30 songs by himself, playing all of the instruments, Holy doing all of the shit. arrangements. Oh, that's amazing. Writing everything, playing the drums, or playing, doing every single thing. Uh, and this is the first song from it. It's called Little, Little Hands. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, six months in a psych hospital. This is the first thing that comes out. Yeah. It's it's, it's incredible. Yeah. God, it sounds good. Little hands clapping. Yeah. Very creepy. Children are laughing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm alone in a white room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. When you actually get into the, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, that man just defecated on the floor. Cool. <laughs> Hmm. Well, you were in a box for a year, and all you thought about was little children. Huh. Uh, hmm. Okay. <laughs> Wait this, a second. They put <laughs> they gave this guy an enema before they put him in the street. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a raspberry. <laughs> it was a bug. <laughs> uh, uh, this this song he wrote about a woman who was in the hospital with him. Now this is on an album where they released how many songs of the thirty? Uh, I believe it was like. 15, 16. Damn, that's sorry, still should, a lot. I should know that. That's still and a just lot. just under his name? Like, they released Under Alexander s- Spence. Huh. This is about a woman he was in the hospital with. And someone was like, oh, that's just evidence of his humor. Yeah, her lips would be chaffed at half the price. It's a right. sex thing. Yeah, yeah. So what a funny, but you could hear for the way he's singing it. There's like this, there's something. It's very morose. Yeah. So, th- so this album, by the way, it was called Or O A R. Hmm. No, no idea if the band got that name from him. Of a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy game of poker, dude. Oh man, those are the times. Huh? Anyway, uh, so the name of the album is Or, but it's under his name. It's under Alexander Spence. Okay. Because he used to go by Skip when he was doing drugs, I guess. Right. But now he's more of an Alexander. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, well, he's getting older. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's 22. Oh, my God. Really? Are you kidding me? Oh, I should have said that. I should I should save that for... Oh, God. He's 22 he's now? He's 22 now. Jesus. He skipped town to Mexico. He's been a year at Bellevue. He's oh. wrote 30 songs in a night. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, also, you know, that was, uh, you know, like... They gave you so much agency when you were like fourteen back then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, it's not like Carl Panzram time, where like you're on a boxcar getting raped. <laughs> yeah, when you're nine. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's close to it, I yeah. guess. Yeah, they give you the keys to the tractor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, a lot of the songs in this are like ethereal, and there's like voices coming in and out of them. One of the weirder ones of many weird ones is one called "War in Peace." Hmm. Uh, it sounds a little bit like this. It's about five minutes of this. And it picks really? up and it goes. It sounds incredible. 
and it was something that a lot of people, you know, didn't understand. And you know, the song like that is like, you know, it comes in and it, it kind of goes through your brain a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, he had some ones that uh, were were catchier and and less catchy. And uh, well, this is still the era of album rock, and you could you could throw this on and people would let it ride while they were yes. getting high as fuck. Yeah, I mean, they had nothing yeah. else to do. Right, yeah. yeah and then, like, little Moody Blues esque. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And we're going to sit around, listen to this record yeah. in our, you know, wood paneled basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait for the mailman. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and and you know, the, he, one of my favorite songs from this album is is this one called uh, 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 Weighted Down. And uh, I don't see it here. Hold on. Somebody, there's going to be a lot of edits in this one. This uh, is probably the time, too, where we're talking about. This is still sixty-seven. This is uh uh this is sixty-eight. Right. Okay. Now we're getting more into uh, dark sixties. Mm -hmm. Right. Because earlier on, you still have kind of that that happy America Hopeful. thing, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we get uh we get some kind of idea that we're we'll make society better. But then, like as Vietnam goes on, let's go to the moon. <laughs> people just get so pissed off, you know. Yeah. Right, and and when it, when some of that that free love starts to fade, and then you know all of these people become capitalists later in life, and, and right. all of the hope is drained out of them. Uh, this is this is this song is called "Weighted Down." And this is him singing. Yeah. This is one of the few songs where you can uh, you understand all the lyrics. Yeah. Weighted yeah. down by the gun. Weighted down by the river. For you to come. But it's basically like he's basically sings this refrain over and over for about six and a half minutes. Is this like a big time suicide thing? It isn't because he never commits suicide. But huh. you can clearly see like something is just bad going. Yeah, yeah, just running through his brain. Yeah, and uh, it still doesn't sound as depressing as some other things. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of uh, like a Leonard Cohen song. But it's not. A, it's not purposely depressive. No, 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 no. You know, no. like you know, some some music. You know, the, it, it's very like, oh god, like you know. No, this is a song you could enjoy just outside on a nice day. But when you think about the crazy yeah. life, I guess you're like, mm -hmm. uh, is he getting bummed out? Yeah. You know. Yikes. Yeah. So of course, no one knew how to sell this album. Mm -hmm. No one had any fucking idea. Really? Columbia did no promotion for it. Yeah. Uh, well, they must have been selling other crazy shit like this at the time. Y yeah, but I mean, but they were selling, okay, you know, they were selling so much. It's like, yeah. w w this means, it, okay, here's a favor for him, probably, is what they thought. Yeah. You know, because we kind of, we kind of put him in New York, yeah. mm -hmm. where he met the White Witch, who yeah. then gave him all the drugs. All the, the, the blue... Uh, <laughs> the blue cheer. Blue cheer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you're also still thinking maybe you can pull something out if we, yeah, if right. we, if we, we get agree he's talented. Yeah. Yeah. But they did no promotion for it. Uh, critical reaction was not good, because no one really under understood it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a huge fan of Robert Criscow, but it, 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 he gave this a C-, mm -hmm. and he said, Strangest record of the year, slow and lugubrious, completely lacking the explosive energy Spence used to bring to Moby Grape when he called himself Skip and swung axes at people. Huh. By anyone else, it would disappear immediately. Yeah. But yeah. It kind there of you did. Go. Nailed it. It sold less than a thousand copies and remains the lowest sell selling album in the history of Columbia Records. Jesus Christ, really? Still. Well, with the description like slow and lugubrious. <laughs> right. Yeah. It hits it on the. On it's the amazing, though, because it's like, I mean, by comparison of what would happen 10 years later, not even that experimental. Oh, it's not. You know? It's not um, experimental. But I think probably a lot of the people getting away with crazy stuff at the time at least knew to have a single. Mm -hmm. like, I think Love <laughs> yes. Lo Love had singles and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, there was, yeah, still, I mean, you still had to respect that model of you better have something that you can throw on the radio, dude. Yep. Yeah. You can get crazy on the B side all day long. Yep. But yeah. that A side better have some shit we can sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not one of those songs could ever be played on the radio. No, even really. now, if you even had a fucking slow, chill out radio station, you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd be hard pressed to be like, oh, that's the one. It does really make me think of the Joe Meek episode a lot. Though. Yeah, it's sure. very uh, yeah. separated out like that as far as recording. Also, yeah, 
they both chase down uh, some person to try and kill him. Yeah, <laughs> also that. Yeah. But, you know, if if someone today, I feel like if someone today put that out that album and said, oh, I, I'm sane, and here's just my album of chill stuff, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. At, for a 21, 22-year-old, too. Yeah, he was 22. And that voice, I mean, it's a good voice, no matter how you cut it. And the production value is fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a and great it, sounding and record. And it's all him. Which is insane. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was basically the end of his career. Wow. He was 22, and he had, you know, things would come up uh, here and there. Uh, Moby Grape, they always wanted to try to include him, but, you know, uh, their their third album in 1969, uh, they had one song, They it was called Skip Song, but also Seeing. It was a song huh. he had worked on with them, and they put it on the album. Uh, their fourth album, Granite Creek, 20 Granite Creek in 1971. Mm-hmm. The, by then, they were, they always, they always felt a, you know a kinship with Skip, and mm. and they went to his trailer in California, and they recorded it with him. Wow. And they said by now he was addicted to heroin. Oh boy! And he was just he was just completely zoned out. Really? And you know they would record basically around him. <laughs> Uh, but he had one song that did make the album. <laughs> Breathe into the mic, Skip. <laughs> yeah, he had one song that made the album. is called Chinese Song. Wow! And it, this is it. The song is Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> oh my God! This. And it does pick up eventually. Oh. But it's called rock and roll chopsticks, <laughs> right? But it's—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a little—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like the most offensive Asian stereotype yeah, mixed right. with like something Sabbathy almost. Yeah. Like it's very—I'm—I'm uh, I'm into that. I like sure. that a lot. It's weird. Yeah, it's like the weirdest like opium den you'd ever been. <laughs> yeah, right. That was the thing. So now I'm on heroin, so I'm going to do <laughs> yeah. what yes, I exactly. think China is like. Chinese? What's China? Well, here's a song for you. <laughs> uh, but also those guys actually, were... It's very... This could be like in a fucking Nicholas Winding Refn movie right, in some weird right. fucking no, basement this is bar cool while he's getting fuck. his ass beat. I've never right. heard this before. This is pretty cool. That's what I got. I mean, this is something I've never heard before. Yes. I can, say, never, I yeah. can say that for it, you know? Yeah, and it came out 45 it years ago. It sounds like the bass is distorted, or is that just like super heavy guitar? I think it's just guitar, but it's 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 low. Yeah, it's very Sabbathy. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't hate this at all. No, this is 1971, and you're right. This would be badass on a soundtrack too. Um, 1971. Okay, so we are getting kind of uh, more heavy psychedelic. Right. Like the bands that stuck with it were like, we're really yeah. doing. We're we know it's bad. We know Joe Friday's coming, but we are tripping. <laughs> Harder than we're, ever. We're, we are painting our faces and licking the brush. Right. Before we get caught, we're going to do some mescaline. That's the deal. Hell yeah. We're going to go deeper. In, I mean, that's really what happened. Yeah. Yes. It went way more psychedelic. Yes. And unapologetically. I'm glad. Yeah. It was about time. People got the idea. They're like, these guys aren't just playing the organ. Right. <laughs> the wor- the Wurlitzer's in. <laughs> these people are not sober. These motherfuckers no. are high. <laughs> So uh, Moby Grape would they would reunite and they would they would bring Skip along for like they play a concert or mm-hmm. and this entire time they would be Moby Grape but they couldn't release as Moby Grape because uh, he's not in it no because M- Matthew Katz that guy would still own the name to it okay and so they would at one point they were called the Melvilles huh and uh, uh, he would play with them in a live ah, concert Herman Melville there. wrote right. Moby Dick yes right. <laughs> Huh. I was going to say closer to the Melvins because they were sounding super heavy. Right. Yeah. Um, but they would they would help him out. Uh, they bought him a home so he could you know he had somewhere to live because he would, he would he would go in and out of homelessness. Uh, Peter Lewis tells a story of one time he took him to a monastery in um, I forget, uh, Santa Cruz I think, hmm. and he was he was roomed next to Skip and in the middle of the night he heard death deathly screaming. And then Skip kept throwing himself against the wall, saying he was inhabited by a spirit. Yeah. And they went to the priest there, and they said, can you give him an exorcism? And the priest said, no, get out of here. And they kicked him out. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, one time, he was in San Jose, where he was at a party, and he uh, died. 
Oh my god They took him to the morgue They put a tag on his toe And then he woke up And said hey Can I get a glass of water Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me Oh my god He oh died Oh my god uh, at this point, he was doing a bunch of coke, just lumps of coke, they said. Whoa. He had a pet rat. Chopping it up. He had a pet rat named Oswald, who would do coke with him. That's He good. gave his pet rat chop? Mm-hmm. That's very funny. That is, if it's a white rat, it's very funny. Of course, funny. his eyes are all red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking little shits everywhere, little tiny rat shits. <laughs> Just chasing the cat around. <laughs> All chopped. Trying to fuck the cat. Chopped to the gills. <laughs> so yeah. fast. How scary are rats off chop? Oh my god. <laughs> this fucking rat won't shut up. Yeah. Imagine a bear. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Bubble Escobar, shout out. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, so he was in and out of all kinds of things. One point he was taken to the Santa Cruz Mental Health Hospital where they lost him. Uh huh. And they found him a few days later in the women's ward. Oh my god, of course. Yeah. Like porkies. Hilarious. <laughs> Mental porkies. Yeah, like ladybugs. He's dressed up like a chick. <laughs> he had uh, one final recording. It was for the X Files soundtrack. What? Huh? Yes. It's called Land of the Sun. Wait, wait uh-huh. no, 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 no. Uh-huh. Sorry, yeah. When the X Files series? The soundtrack to the X Files series. I think it was like 93. Okay, or so something. like season so he, one or two. So, yeah, something like that. So he and lives he, for all this time. Yes. So what what does he do in the meantime? Chris, he's just he's just in just passing time. Huh. Did Chris you know? Carter reach out to him? Who reached out to him to record I, this I, song? I didn't I don't know who specifically, <sighs> but they reached out to him to record this song Let's called Land of the Sun. Very interesting. That is fascinating. I'm scared already. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Little Pink Floydy. I was in Bellevue. <laughs> Have you heard my song? It's Chinese. <laughs> That baseline is killer. Yeah. Is that it for the thing? Is that I mean, it's just like playing the background. There's three and a half more minutes. Okay, so he does sing. Kind of. It's a lot of spoke, spoken word, and this is my favorite thing I've heard yet. I love this. Oh, I kind of like the Chinese stuff, honestly. <laughs> Chinese stuff is badass, too. You know, this is a, very influenced by the beats. Like, Burroughs would do stuff like mm-hmm. this, where he'd, like, chop and screw. Like, he'd take tape, tape, old tape, magnetic tape with music, and he'd cut it up and play it backwards and stuff, or, like, stretch it out like that one note over a long period of time, and then he'd do a spoken word over it. And, yeah. You can see the influence. Of, a bunch uh, of them would do that. I think Burroughs invented that. Ba- yeah, he, chopping he, it he up. Collaborated even with like Ministry that were doing industrial. Yeah. Corresponded with um, uh, Kurt Cobain. They were yeah, 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 they hung out. This could have been on Woodstock '94. Yeah. They would have loved this, especially the the fucking bongo drumming. Yeah. yeah. So is he still alive? So this is, you know, ni- early 90s. This song was actually deemed too weird for the X-Files soundtrack, <laughs> and they didn't put it on. What a bunch of dickheads. Seriously. Come on. Seriously. Yeah, the show that had every fucking insane thing you could imagine. Yeah. This was yeah. too weird. I mean, it. I could see it not being on network TV, but you could throw this on, you know, uh, the soundtrack to the movie. Yeah. Well, this would easily get on Twin Peaks, which Absolutely. is where yes. X-Files came from, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the... the yeah. The, I've told you, like the ma- there was a magazine, a fan magazine called Wrapped in Plastic that mm-hmm. was a fan magazine for Twin Peaks. But then there was only two seasons of Twin Peaks, so after that, the magazine would still come out. Talk about and X-Files. It, they would talk about X-Files. Yep. You know, because David Duchovny was on Twin Peaks, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously, we want network TV doing weird shit. Mm-hmm. But David Lynch would have put that in all day. Mm-hmm. Or I something weird. I love it. Yeah. But that's, that's fucking great. Yeah. So uh, then, in 1999, he's uh, d- he's admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. 
Uh-oh. He's diagnosed with lung cancer when he's there. Two days later, he's dead. Jesus Christ. He's 50, 53 years old. Shit. Oh, my God. And that's the, So that's the last thing he recorded. Yeah. 31 years after he made Orr. 31 years after he died. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I, 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 and, you know, it... That is brutal. It's it, it's an insane journey, and yeah, you know, I think it's easy. It's like it's obviously it's easy to get stuck on just the drugs and the insanity. <laughs> Believe me, yeah. I know. <laughs> but I think I think probably what happened with this guy, if I had to guess, when you're saying about how did he come to be doing the X Files thing, there's like, you know that that comic thing where you know that the crazy guy is still around, and every now and then he gets on stage, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I bet that's what he was like in music. Like, hey man, yes, still, you know, you know. He's still doing shit. Yeah, he still does stuff like the crazy, every now and you know, and then. Yeah. The crazy mm-hmm. old man yeah. up in the hill. He lives like, in a shed and does smack, but dude, put him on a stage and he's still incredible, yeah. you know? So there's that kind of yeah. celebration. Yeah. And in the meantime, you're probably doing a lot of studio work, too. If you really know how to play, sure. you stay around the scene. Yeah. But there's always people that are going to speak up for you, especially if you're underappreciated. Mm-hmm. In any field, I think, comedy or music or anything else, the people that are mm-hmm. like good know what's good mm-hmm. and know what wasn't recognized. And there's so many. And they're vocal about it. And there's so many tragic stories like that. Like, I know some Canadian power pop guys that, like, were incredible. Canadian power pop? Power pop band guys. Oh, please, and <laughs> off air, please tell me. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were, they were amazing. And it was like the kind of thing where they ended up packing meat and committing right. suicide. Mm-hmm. Sure. But incredibly talented. But I think there's so many stories like that. Yeah, and it, that, it goes beyond just mute. Like, there's so many. Different types of work, where whether you know sports, yeah, music, movies, where it's just like you know you disappear and then yeah, I mean gotta, that, you got to keep moving. That yeah. Franz Kafka quote, the last words: "There will mm-hmm. never, nobody will ever know I was ever a writer." Mm-hmm. You know, but then there's people that nobody really knows. Yeah, you know? <laughs> which is why we got to talk yeah. about him. Shit, I mean, if he was around today, I'd really like to see what he would be doing. Right. Yeah. Because that's. Really cool shit. It is, but like even even um, love who who are amazing, not appreciated at yeah. all in the day. Like the things that aren't appreciated in the day, you would not believe in hindsight. Like yeah. what a wonderful world. Mm. Not until uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, was that huge? It was around and it was fine, but what a wonderful world. The Louis Armstrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Blade Runner. That wasn't it. That wasn't a big deal. Nobody cared. Yeah. Until that they used it in that movie so well. Mm. Isn't that fucking bizarre? The DeLorean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, right. John DeLorean didn't really help. That. He's <laughs> chopping it up and yes. shit. Now we're all driving. Now, right? yeah, now we're all chopping it inside with the flux capacitor. Uh, but Blade Runner was another one. Panned. Right. Panned, and that, and it's wi- widely regarded as the best science fiction film of all time. Shining. Yeah. People did not care for it. Nope. Did not like it. It is very weird, Elliot. It's weird. It's a weird movie, Elliot. Um, that was a fantastic profile. I yes. absolutely adore I'm going to look this guy up. Yes. Uh, um, do you have additionals? Oh, well, you know, uh, when we go out, I like to play a song. It, uh, play us out on a tune. But do you have any additional facts about this guy? Any kind of... Uh... No, I, I mean, that's about it. You know, there's a lot of interesting characters that came out of that scene, but, yeah. you know... I just I, I kind of find it fascinating. I, I knew about Orr before I ever listened to Moby Grape. Uh-huh. Right. And it was just like, oh, here's a very interesting, weird thing. Yeah, and I was going to say about those guys when they're trying to surround him, even after he's a total mental case. I mean, he's probably, he was, when they started, you know, he's probably the most innovative guy in the band. He was, yeah, he was a exactly. kid. Exactly. So yeah. then later on, you're like... Well, fuck, even if he's just sitting there, maybe we'll have mm-hmm. some inspiration. So I can understand right. them wanting to be around him. Yeah, mu- it's a, the muse type of thing. Bring mm-hmm. the fucking 25-year-old right. snack and in the Right, in the meantime, maybe we can also coax him into full-blown writing more songs. Yeah. Sure. Or, or even just, you know, I think we've all had friends who uh, fall into that that drug or, or this drug. And yeah. What are you trying to say, dude? <laughs> Well, but, you, <laughs> but like we were saying earlier, you see it in their eyes, and there's a thing, and and yeah. I think we all have that hope that like, oh, yeah. maybe when I'm with them, th- it'll rekindle what they used to be. Absolutely, I've had friends that were uh, that were in a bad way that I was like, I should just kidnap them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even joking. Right, this will fix all. I the, was like, yeah. I'll kidnap them and I'll go to Des Moines. 
<laughs> like seriously. Yeah, I'll tie them up to a chair and they'll <laughs> detox and then we'll be friends again. Exactly. Well, I mean, but I've really had that thought where I'm like, if I if I can sober them up in a room, you yeah. know, and, and bring my friend back. I'll, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll get all their piss and shit too, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, that's not gonna get any better. That's not but, get any better. but 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 if they sober up, I'll be able to look them in the eye and be like, "Hey, is this what you thought we would be like when we were 14?" Yeah, because I bet you don't even now. Yeah, in your heart, think this is what you should be doing. Right here, you are tied up to a chair <laughs> in a Super 8 in Des Moines me catching your piss and shit in a yeah. tub yeah <laughs> look at us yeah <laughs> me with an arsenal of Tupperware for your piss and your shit it, of course labeled by date <laughs> who would have guessed as, as teenagers that we'd be here today but I'm judging him though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's so happy to be there. Look at there, you! Too. You're shitting and pissing in a Tupperware. You're a freak. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, okay. I think we're gonna go out on pissing shit. Yeah, yeah, let's blow out on a song. So this song is the song "Seeing" that's from their third album that they they called "Skip Song." Mm-hmm. And for everybody involved <laughs> with the band, they were like, "This is the song. This is the song that." would have defined Moby Grape. This is the song that, huh. that we realized, that finally realized who we were. Hmm. And they made it with him, uh, and they didn't release it until after he was out of the band because it didn't fit on their other album. And now he is immortalized on every CD player and radio. The skip, skip button. button. <laughs> so wait, to skip on this or no? Yes. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, he wrote this song. You can, that's him singing. Hmm. Hell yeah. It's very raw and very, like, proto other bands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is exactly the way I feel about love, too. But I love that this production sounds like they're just playing on the edge of the beach and, oh, and the riffs just wash away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they don't stick. They just... I mean, it's still just as impactful. It's e- even more impactful, yeah. but there's some kind of thing about... It sounds like, like they're playing to a cult. Yeah. Like a, a group. But there's a moment where Skips trips and the band themselves. You, this is the perfect combination of all of that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's always that middle ground. Right before like you like like Thompson said, before the wave rolled back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The high water mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well you 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 know what? You gotta get the squares involved somehow. <laughs> and and they have something to contribute. Yeah. Like they'll keep you from doing that eight minute mandolin solo yeah that nobody wants <laughs> right you know what I'm saying yes. like listen to the squares there yeah. is a middle ground yeah the squares keep you in the box mm-hmm. yeah because how are we gonna sell it if there's not a box right but this fucking rules that's dope yeah it's so American sounding too oh yes you know like Led Zeppelin doesn't sound like this you know right and you know Robert Plant was was totally into Skip. He paid yeah. w- when they had their uh, their funeral for him. All the band went to a bar and just got wasted after. And Robert Plant paid for their bills. No shit. Yeah. Wow. He did a cover of Little Hands. That no uh, shit. Yeah. Little Hands clapping. Mm-hmm. Children in a wow. room. Scary stuff. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. I mean, it's like you know, it probably would have got big without Kurt Cobain, but I think it really helped the whole Lead Belly uh-huh. thing. Oh, that's another profile. Yeah. Should get Rick Wood in. Oh, yeah. Should, yeah. He loves Lead Belly. We'll have to give him three or five episodes. (laughs) Yeah, let him do it. Play play his whole album. His discography. (laughs) No, just talking. No music. This is great. Yeah. I do love stuff from this era. A lot of it is very proto-punk, too. Mm -hmm. It can can get very fast. There's some love songs like that where I'm like, oh, this is like 1969 punk songs. Mm-hmm. But then the rest are like ballads and blues grooves and a, like a band was so dynamic at this time. They would yeah. have all different kinds of songs. Yeah. 
You hear that plant, Robert Plant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello. That's so Robert Plant. Uh-huh. Yeah. But again, like, this is not going on the radio. This is not a single. I mean, you would hope. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, five, it's over five minutes long. Right. Well... I mean, after Led Zeppelin, you could play it on the yeah, right. like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I somebody's got to crack it mm-hmm. the right way for that to play. Right. So you need somebody who can make it commercial friendly, pop friendly, yeah. and then you can start playing that stuff. But but with the heavy psychedelic stuff, there was I'm sure a radio edit of Inagata Devita, which yeah. is 18 minutes long, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was probably 10 minutes, which is still obscene. Right. But I'd rather hear this and Inagata Devita than one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Jefferson Airplane, like, when their first album came out, uh, I think it was Columbia Records who, who who owned them, they were like, you have to change all of these lyrics that almost sound like sex to make them sound less like every single lyric they found that was, oh that was like, I want to be with you, I want to be in you, you know where. They were like, change it to, close the door, I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> This is great stuff. And this is like, I mean, like, bands of this, unknown bands of this era are like mm-hmm. the biggest vinyl compilation yeah. thing for like the last, I don't know, 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like, Brazil Psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Volume 8. <laughs> it's like in, <laughs> in your record store, because there was so many psych bands at that yeah. time. Yeah. It was like... Africa. African the, psychedelic music. Yes. With, um, Richard Onyebor. And it's great. It's incredible. It's That's so enough. Good. We're gonna do a profile on him for sure because there's yeah. like so, there's a little bit of like mythology around him and right. the Russians and where he came out of nowhere. We'll get to it. Yeah, episode, but <laughs> great music, the, really great music. I, and I was like about the San Francisco thing. The psych stuff stays so long that one of my favorite bands, uh, like in the punk sphere or even post punk sphere, is this band called Chrome from San Francisco. And they had a super psyched out guitarist and then another guy that was doing like tape loop stuff, very industrial. And uh, so it was like a guy that was doing like crazy weird shit like that and a psych guitarist. And then the two of them find punk together at the same time. Hmm. But even in like 1981, 82, they were still doing very psyche riffs. Mm-hmm. Like it was so huge in San Francisco, like it'd be hard to shake. Yeah. I'm assuming Jefferson Airplane was from there too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 It's uh, very much in that wheelhouse. Yeah. But um drugs, dude. They're awesome. Well, it, it Yeah. It it's drugs, but it's also a small area. Yes. High right. high potency. High potency. High concentration. Drug use. High gravity lager. <laughs> it's a high, that, high yeah. gravity uh-huh. drug use. Yeah, huh? Yes. Uh <laughs> And just I mean also California is so different that Yes. Before you even get to a mm. weird city, you're already in a very weird state in the country. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then shove that and, all in one place and, and go do yeah, you make San Francisco happen. Yeah, now you get some ayahuasca tea, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. You're getting real wigged out. Yeah. I absolutely love this episode, Matt. Yes, thank you Great. so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for telling us yes, about absolutely. Skip. Spence. Thank you for learning me something because I <laughs> sure. I am I am ignorant. <laughs> And I don't have good taste. Right. That's, you have good taste. I taste good, Matt. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you learn me about new things, I like it because I feel good. But you had me from the get-go on this one. I was I was, yeah. uh, I was, was glued from minute one. Yeah. I love music shit I mm-hmm. don't know about. Yeah. I absolutely adore that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I'm John Fahey. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm Aaron Pita. I'm Matt Brousseau. Good night.